Hello and welcome to another episode of the Game of Loans podcast and today's a great one because we've got the awesome Amy Rawlinson on the show. If you don't know who Amy is, Amy is the number one podcast host of the Focus on Why podcast. So a little bit nerve wracking for me actually having to kind of have a chat stroke interview um, a very, very well known uh, podcast, a very successful podcast host. But we're not going to focus too much on podcasting on this episode. We are actually going to be talking on uh, focusing on why and um, and it is such an important subject and something that I think a lot of people struggle with um, a lot of pe- a lot of people really can't define truly the real reason why they are trying to do whatever they do whether that's building a business investing in property or anything else and it's really a, a subject that I love talking about and um, I'm absolutely delighted that Amy agreed to come on to the show and talk with me about it so Hopefully, you're going to absolutely love this and you're going to get a ton of value from it. Um, So let me ask you a favour, please, please, please. I want as many people as possible to enjoy this and every other episode. So if you do enjoy it, if you're listening along, please take a screenshot, uh, post it to your uh, your Instagram stories, tag me and Amy in it. Uh, We can reshare it and we can just get this out to as many people as possible. Um, And of course, if you haven't subscribed already to the podcast, hit that subscribe button, rate and review. and, um, And here we go. Here is my fantastic chat with the incredible Amy Rawlinson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Game Alone's podcast. I'm absolutely delighted today to be joined by Amy Rawlinson, um, who has, he, this is probably saying this off air, it's very, very nerve wracking for me because I'm interviewing um, a very well known podcast host, uh, Focus on Why. Um, but hi, Amy, how are you doing? I'm very well and thank you so much for inviting me onto the Game of Loans podcast. I do like a bit of Game of Thrones so I'm sure I like a bit of Game of Loans. I hope so too although do you know when I first started this it was amazing how many times I introduced it as Game of Thrones and then had to to start again (laughs) because your mind just just has it registered doesn't it. Now if I talk about Game of Thrones I'll probably say Game of Loans instead so I've completely changed things but um, but thanks so much for coming on today it's it's a genuine pleasure for me as I said before we before we kick this thing this thing off but um, for those people that don't know who you are, um, are you able to give us a, a little bit of an intro and tell us more about what you do? Okay, well, the Focus on Why podcast is very new. It only launched on the 30th of April this year, 2020. Before that, I had had another podcast, which is called the Property Vault podcast, and that had been running for about a year previously. I am a coach, a mentor. Yes, I've hit number one in the iTunes podcast chart, so that was pretty epic. <laughs> um, I run a mastermind, which is all women. I set that up in 2016 in January. No, it's not, it was January 2017. I had the idea in December 2016 and got action the following month. I'm a speaker and property investor and a SaaS trustee. I think that covers pretty much everything. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we could go in about a million and one different directions uh, in this podcast. And, and um, yeah, it could be the longest running podcast I've ever done. Um, but the, the first thing on that that, that I, I love, um, and this might sound a bit strange coming from me as I am a man, but I do actually think that, um, that our industry property is quite a masculine industry, isn't it? Um, but one thing I've noticed probably over the last two to three years is that the, the the powerhouse that is female kind has really risen, um, and you're seeing. I'm certainly as a as a broker have so many more clients that are are women. Have you sort of noticed that kind of trend as well? And uh, is that maybe part of the reason why you started that particular mastermind in the first place? 
There's, I think there's two sizes. I think there's been a strong female foothold in, in the property industry, but it's just not been shouted about. And I think that now we've just really discovered how to bring forth our voice and actually what that then means because of encouraging other women into this industry. For me personally, I just wanted to have an immediate circle of people who were operating on similar levels with some who are more advanced and some who are less advanced, but just have that accountability and support from one another and that's why I set it up I'd read a book called Rich Woman by Kim Kiyosaki who everyone will probably know Robert Kiyosaki as the rich dad poor dad but not many people have read the the sort of female counterpart of that book but she encouraged you to or encouraged me and any woman to take financial responsibility for their lives and that is essentially what I did I had been living on autopilot for far too many years and i needed to change the way that I approached finance and overnight pretty much uh, did that. Amazing. So that was 2016, did you say? Yeah. So I, I went to a property seminar back on the 9th of September, 2016. And I remember these days very clearly because it was literally the day after I just handed in my notice. I'd, I'd finished working for a company because I knew that I was going to do something in property, but I didn't quite know what. I already had a buy to let that I was going to do a big refurbishment on and change it into an HMO, but I didn't know what that meant and how I was going to do it. So I, I'd been a landlord at that point for 10 years, an accidental one, because we kept an existing property and rented it out instead of selling it. So then I decided I wanted to do more because my husband had been working in the city. I'd been at home raising the children and then had gone back to work for a couple of years from 2014 to 2016. More part-time, but it was in a property management and development company. It was a startup and I had a great time with them, but I, I wanted more. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted the flexibility. So I took that leap and just went out there and did my property education, a two-year course in three months and started investing in the following March. Wow. So and then and then bought several properties that year. That's um, well, first of all, the turnaround in the in terms of the course, the two year course in three months. But what what did you do? Did you did you sort of duplicate yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people ask me that question. Do I have a different uh, timeline to the rest of the world? Because I do seem to do quite a lot of things in in a short amount of space. But I'm pretty organised, and I was very determined. I had a really clear why. I needed to do what I needed to do. And I think that really helped me to focus and get the momentum going. But mm. it also, I think learning and being able to apply what I'd learned very quickly was, was the key to that. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a couple of points on there that I, I want to pick up on, but the, the first one was the, you talking about your effectively sort of sat your boss um, and, and decided to, to, to go into property full time on your own. This is something that I think about a lot because I have so many clients that are in that sort of, that, that's their mindset. They, they think I need, I, I, my ultimate goal or my, my first goal is I do want to go into property full time. Did you, looking back on that now, were you in the right position to go off and do that? Or, and if you were, you know, what was it that, that sort of was a tipping point in your head to say, right, I'm actually in a position where I can go and do that now. Was that to do with the fact that your husband was still working? Was it to do with the fact that you had a bit of a base in terms of already having a property under your belt? What, what was it that clicked in your head to make, mean that you thought, yeah, I can go and do this now? Yeah. So that's a really important point because I hear a lot of people that just sort of launch straight into 
unemployment essentially and then try and build a property portfolio from that position and I wouldn't advise that at all I had the benefits of two things and I had the time to be able to do so and I also had my husband still working so we weren't reliant on my salary for anything so that was the position I came from and I really want to stress that that was the case for a while before we then shifted our whole dynamic in in how we now operate so yes essentially I I had the ability to do that and that and I do see that as a luxury but what we'd also been doing for the entirety of the time we've been together we've now we've now been together for 25 years and we'd been paying off our mortgages because we didn't know that we could actually invest our money we were paying off all our mortgages thinking okay at the end of this we'll downsize and then we'll start building a property portfolio so when i learned about how i could then release some equity from my own home to build a portfolio that changed that was a game changer for us I suppose that's a mindset thing, isn't it? I was talking to um, Jess Leader, who you may well know, um, recently, and we were talking about money um, and debt and mindset and this idea of good debt versus bad debt. And I think, you know, you, you've hit on a strong point there, which is is actually understanding that debt, actually, when you put it to good use, isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I suppose if you're a fan of the Kiyosaki family, um, this is something, I suppose, a lesson that they preach quite a lot, isn't it? That there is a, there is a distinguished, um, you can distinguish between good and bad debt. Yeah, it's really important that you invest wisely because I'm not just advocating that you put your own home at risk. You know, this is sound decisions that we've we've put into place that are very personal for us. And and I think that that's something I also want to stress is everybody's personal circumstances are different. Everybody's starting positions are different. So it's always worth speaking to a mortgage broker to understand exactly what it is you're trying to achieve and how it's best for you to do that. It's not just a case of, oh, look, Amy's just done that. I'm going to go do that. No, not at all. It was what was right for us. It was what was right for our risk. Um, and we knew what we were doing. You know, I'd got the education. My husband is a risk manager. He just hadn't thought of this. It was just one of those things that sort of slipped his mind, which is quite funny. Um, ironic, I would say, but uh, not so funny. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when, you, when you just said your husband's a risk manager, that's like the perfect person to have on your team, isn't it? Somebody that actually can analyse um, whether what you're doing is a good thing or a bad thing. That, that awesome. I'd imagine there's a, a lot of people listening into this that think, oh, I wish I was married to one of those. That would be really helpful for my business. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the massive benefits there. And I think that goes back to when you do your wealth dynamics profile to understand who you need in your sort of tr- working triangle. I'm a star. I need a lord and my husband is that. And I also need a deal maker and I've got those two people in my team and that really works and that covers all the bases. Well, I told you we would go off on, on tangents and that and, and it would be mainly down to you to, to where those tangents go. I have heard about wealth dynamics more in the last month than I have in the rest of my entire life. Um, I haven't done it myself yet. Um, I've heard a lot about it. I've heard a lot of people and people telling me, oh, you should do it, Sam, but I think you're this. Um, and then, so I'm interested to hear more about it from, from somebody that's actually gone and done it. What, what is it and, and, and how does it benefit business? So I think that to understand what your strengths, where your strengths lie is a really important thing in business and in your personal life. Because if you're working with your strengths, you are going to be more in a flow state. You're going to be more comfortable. You're not pushing against things that don't come naturally to you. So I love creating, I love branding, I love people. And that's very important for me. I don't necessarily like to 
look at the analysis of data. I like a spreadsheet, but only if it's got lots of color and helps me be more organized. So that's not quite my idea of what my husband's spreadsheet would look like. So for understanding where you're going to create your wealth and where your strengths are, quite a lot of companies will look at your wealth dynamic and they will put you in teams that will work with the other people where those strengths lie. And the whole system is that you've got eight different profiles and between a team, if you're covering each of those profiles, you're going to have a really well executed, delivered project because you've got people who are coming from different perspectives. Mm. And, and, that, and companies that understand that and understand that teams who have got people who are thinking critically or creatively or from a, a person background or from a different, just different perspectives, it really does add value to that team. I actually think I might have done it when I was interviewing for a job a long while ago. Um, they, they gave me something to, to do, which sounds very, very similar to that. Um, yeah. but I've, I've, t- I've been told apparently I'm a, a star supporter that people think yeah. that, that that's what I am. I'm not really sure what that means, but it sounds nice to have the word star in, in my, uh, <laughs> in my profile. That sounds nice, doesn't it? But was that what you were saying you were too? Yeah. So I'm a star supporter and creator, which means that my secondary profiles are creator and supporter. So I like to support other people and I also like to create new things, hence new podcasts and things like that. But for me, being the star doesn't always necessarily mean that you are the person shining, but you also allow other people to shine. You're just a people person. It's just where you, your brand is all about you. It's all about how you're going to run your business because it's all you are essentially the business which goes against the sort of e-myth model which is work on the business not in the business but you are your own brand yeah i I think there's an element of probably there's there's probably a lot of um sort of crossover between between those things the e-myth is actually on my list of books to read so um, it's a growing list it's getting longer by the day it seems (laughs) i get so many uh especially in lockdown so many people i see on social media that are are reading certain books but um i wanted to come back to what you were saying about you know businesses running and and getting various different types of people within those businesses because i was talking to a client earlier about this funnily enough and um we were talking about um just different people suit different jobs and the art of delegation and those sorts of things. So in, in your in your sort of property business, um, obviously we spoke about briefly you moved from being in, in a job to then not being in a job. At what stage did you actually kind of, I suppose, take that property, uh, property business and turn it into a real business and start actually bringing some, maybe some more people into that and, uh, and, and growing it, I suppose? Oh, it's day one. So I, I'm a massive reader. Um, and before I sort of embarked on property, my property journey and building a portfolio, I, I probably read about 150 books at that point. So phenomenal reader. I love it. I listen to books all the time. And the e-myth was, was critical in, in building a business, which means that you are not in it. So it's really important for me that I have managing agents who look after the properties. I've got project managers who are running those properties and everything is pretty much systemized right from the outset. My husband, my husband does a lot of the admin now, but we've got accountants that do the accounting and various things. So for me, if you can outsource something, then do so because that frees you up to do only what you can do. and, And that just makes much more sense. It's just, I suppose it makes your life um, more enjoyable when you're focusing on the things that you actually enjoy doing on a day-to-day basis. I've, I'm certainly finding that over the last sort of year or so, really focusing on my processes as a broker and what I enjoy and what I don't enjoy. And, and often 
the things I don't enjoy maybe don't get done as quickly or as um, as, as as well as getting somebody else who's more in he finds that task uh, to be more stimulating so I suppose there's something in that as well but when when you actually came to thinking about that was there was there a sort of a clear strategy that you had in terms of right I need to bring somebody on to do that particular role or was it quite organic and you kind of did it as you were going so it was it was fairly organic I, I needed to understand the processes so that, that and I can delegate the systems so it was very much a hands-on but with the understanding that then it was a hands-off so I, I don't need to know everything like so for the builders I wouldn't micromanage them but I I actually have a, quite a, a lot of a building background because I rebuilt our own house a few years ago we bought a wreck in 2006 and it wasn't a wreck that's not fair it was a half-built house and it was an existing bungalow that the previous owner tried to put on a first floor and he'd got as far as just doing the roof and the framework but it was just an empty shell had no windows it had no walls internally other than ones that were needed for supporting obviously and I had two small children when we moved in they were they were little so I understood and I worked with two builders and it took us three there's two years between the three of us we lived downstairs did upstairs moved upstairs and then did downstairs and I was super hands-on so I actually have a very good grasp of of building and what components are needed which is why I can talk at a good level with builders on site yeah that, that's really interesting it's really it's really helpful and I think you know I, I talked to that I, I maybe I'm not the um, the authority on running a business by any stretch, but being somebody who is self-employed within within the structure of what they do, I suppose I can I can understand how this works. And a lot of people I speak to, a lot of clients who are business owners, effectively, um, I, especially when they're first starting out, I think there's this balance, isn't there, between outsourcing too quickly, so maybe you don't understand all of the jobs, um, and then leaving it too long because you want to take advantage of that. So I suppose the way that I kind of see it is it's good for people to actually have a knowledge of each of the different roles um, so that they can, as you say, have a kind of a high level conversation with the people that they bring in then to, to do that on a day to day basis. I don't know if you agree with that. I totally agree. I think to have to have an understanding of all the components in, in your in your business is critical. But you just need to also understand that there are probably people that can do it better than you can. Yeah. Absolutely. I suppose it comes back to that idea of, you know, you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. If you're, um, if you're within your own business, if you're just the person that's just pulling the strings and you've got the grand plans, um, it's a little bit like the, the, the conductor or orchestra sort of um, scenario, is it? So, so having that idea of what they're doing, you, you know, the conductor doesn't play the trumpet or the, or the violin, but he probably has a decent idea of how those instruments work in order to, you know, to, to, to bring it all together. I suppose that's 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 how that works isn't it so from from your point of view um then did, was it kind of a, a case of you did sort of try each little aspect before you outsourced or was there anything that you were just like nah i'm not getting involved in that i'm getting that getting that out straight away um i'm just trying to remember so i i did get quite hands-on but i i was very aware that i needed to it needs to be sustainable going forward and I, I worked super hard for those first two and a half years to really get things off the ground so it wasn't easy and I had quite some tough learning curves as we all do in property it was not that sort of rose tinted glasses scenario that you sometimes see on 
Facebook and Instagram, it was, it was blooming hard, I have to say. And there were lots of long days and very long nights and lots of last minute sweat to get things sorted. And, but looking back and I keep a journal, I've, I've kept an entire journal of this entire journey. So I'm now on, let me just check which day it is, but it's quite interesting. Wow. 1,268 days. So we're on today. Good grief. That's such a, that is such a great idea. Um, we, we hear all the time when we, we you know, when I'm, I'm talking marketing with people, we talk about you using social media platforms to document your journey, but actually, um, actually physically doing that is, is quite a good idea. How, how does that, how's that helped you do it, doing something like that? Is it, is it case you can sort of skip back to other days and, and reread and go, Oh yeah, I, I learned that. And that was, that was a helpful lesson to me invaluable it's been so amazing to look back and see how small I thought and how little I knew but how bold I was being by taking a, a new step every day and I and for me looking at that and seeing what my initial goals were and what those timelines were to achieve that and at the time that's what I thought I could do and as I've grown and I've journaled and I've commented and I've had the tough days and the great days as well it's been really interesting to sort of reflect and understand that that was my position. And, and because I can't modify my memory because I've physically written it down, I can really see what I was thinking and what I was experiencing at those times. So it's a very true story of, of my life that I've, I've kept here. And it's, very, it's pretty much property-based, but there are also comments there, books I've read, notes I've, I've made about people who have had big influences on me, on me during that period as well. So... I really treasure it. It's been, it's been a really, really good process. And it was because I'd read The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. Mm-hmm. And I started that whole journaling. Did you, um, did you take the advice from, from that book and actually start getting up earlier? Or was it just uh, utilising some of the principles for your normal working day? I'm, all, I, I'm, I'm always interested in this because I really struggle to get up in the mornings. I'm not, I love just sleeping in. Um, but I know the importance. And for example, this morning I was up early because I had a call at seven o'clock. So I was up early um to, to take that and i know that i've got more work done as a result but did you did you sort of take that on what are you an early riser so okay so i've got two things to say about this i am an early riser and i am a lion and what a lion means if you've read the power of when you have four different chronotypes and a chronotype is working with your natural sort of circadian rhythm and you have four types you've got a lion a dolphin a bear and a wolf and if you think back to the, the days where we used to have to protect ourselves physically 24-7, you'd have different types of people who would need to take on those different roles of the, of the sleep pattern. So those are genetically wired, and we all have those different chronotypes in us, according to The Power of When, which is written by Michael Brees. And for me, I know I'm a lion. I get up early. I literally ping out of bed. I'm a massive tigger. And I bounce all day until I sort of keel over at the end of the day. Run out of energy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, normally with a glass of wine in front of the TV right at the last minute when everyone else just wants to watch something. Yeah, but it's it's a case of understanding that you don't need to be part of that whole 5am club because you might actually have a different type of rhythm that's natural for you. So if you have a look, there's a really quick test you can do called the power of when on online. It's a free test and you'll find the the answers very quickly and it'll give you you'll get your your results you're either a lion bear dolphin or a wolf 
for example, a dolphin is someone who's a very light sleeper because in, in real life, dolphins actually have two hemispheres and they can switch off one side while the other one is alert. So the dolphin in the group would always be on alert and be that light sleeper because they needed to be. They were looking after the camp always. And that's what we are. We are community-based animals. And so understanding your natural rhythms is, is something that's quite interesting, I find anyway. I'm de- I've taken a note of that. I'm going to go and go and try that out because I, again, I'm not, I'm not sure which one I would fit into. Probably not a lion by the sounds of things. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, the but thing is, it, 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 when you sort of force your way maybe out of what your natural rhythm is, is that probably where the, where the issues lie? Yeah, I mean, society is based on on this whole nine to five and we all have to subscribe to that because that's the way it works. But if you think about the invention of the light bulb, that then switched us all on 24-7. And we're now, with the advent of technology, we are connected 24-7. So we don't get that chance to truly switch off and and relax anymore. But if you look at your natural cycle of of your day of when's best to eat, when's best to exercise, when's best to make decisions, we, we naturally know when those moments are but we don't always work with them and it's understanding that if you block out your diary and put those times aside it can really work in your favor yeah it's a, you mentioned there as well about the sort of not nine to five and um i i'm going to struggle and i might get this wrong i think it might have been four hour work week um tim ferris where he's, he's saying isn't it weird how no matter what job you do it's always nine to five or probably more than nine to six nowadays. Um, it's always the same amount of time, whether you're a train driver, whether you're an office worker, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a builder, it doesn't matter. You just did this. Every job takes nine to five every day. Um, and when you actually break out and think how ridiculous that is, that's when you can start maybe reutilizing your time in a better way. I totally agree. And if we look at how lockdown has affected us, our days have become a lot more flexible because we are not having to travel to an office and we can actually set our own times because we can set meetings when we need to. And actually that's worked in a lot of people's favours because they are keeping slightly different timings to the subscribed ones that we're used to. And I think that'd be really great if we could come out of lockdown and have that flexibility. Is that something... um that you are sort of you see yourself doing in your business actually moderating your time a little bit differently because of what's happening in lockdown because we're learning that we as a society we actually can function with everyone practically being remote or is it do you think that there is something to be gained from actually having physical meetings and, and and having office space with people all together i think it's going to be a combination of both i think that business travel is probably going to be reduced a lot I think that people will realize that they don't need to travel across the world to have that one meeting. They may be able to do it over a Zoom. I always used to think when when interviewing people that I got the most out of them when I was in person. But this lockdown has forced me to change my interview styles on the podcast. And actually, I don't see any difference. If anything, I've, I've got more depth and breadth with the podcast probably because i've changed the shift of of the the title of the podcast that's definitely got a link to it but i i've definitely got some really amazing uh, connections with people as a virtual basis i don't think you you do need to have that physical meeting anymore it does make a difference you can you can build longer term relationships with people for sure and and you have conversations when you're in person with people that you probably wouldn't necessarily sort of break into if you were on a virtual but it's been pretty impressive what i've achieved so far 
I mean, I certainly wish I'd put, uh, bought some uh, shares in Zoom before this all this all happened. <laughs> I, I won't buy there. Um, but you, you you mentioned there obviously the, the, the new podcast, and you know we are talking via Zoom, recording this one. So I, I completely uh, agree with you on that. And actually, I think it's something that I will continue doing because I think it gains you access to, to 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 more people. We might not have done this episode if it wasn't for you know lockdown happening. Who knows? Um, but yeah. as we said uh, sort of beforehand when we were discussing uh, this episode, I, I'm I'm really keen to hear a little bit more about um, the focus of your podcast, focus focus on why, because I just see it as such an important part of any person in business, whether that's property or otherwise really having a focus um, and I'll tell you why that is is because I have to have this conversation with most of my clients I have to say to them you know what is it that you're looking to achieve and why are you looking to achieve it because it helps me give them the correct advice and um, I'm always well I'm not shocked because I know what's coming but it's it is surprising I think to people looking from the outside in that 90% of the answers to those questions are monetary um, and it's always the magic 10,000 £10, pounds a month. Once I reach 10,000 pounds a month, uh, that's my goal and, and life will be infinitely better as a result. Oh, well, I'm sure it will be. But actually, monetary goals, I just don't think work when the chips are down. Um, and this is this really was the driver behind me reaching out to you in the first place, Amy, to get you on board on this because I think it's so so important. So you know, talk, talk to me a little bit more about that because I know that obviously you are the authority on it but i'm i'm i like i'm hoping that you're going to say yes sam you're absolutely right <laughs> yes sam you're absolutely right it, it, <laughs> it's really bizarre because i haven't had that many if any who have said that it's all about money in fact i don't think i've had a single one yet so money is a facilitator and money is a very personal and emotional subject because everybody has their own money story and what that look for them is very dependent on, on how they've grown up and what they've done and, and what they aspire to have. And there's a whole separate podcast we could do on that, I think. But for me, not knowing why you're doing what you're doing, you, you just don't have that drive. You don't have that daily accountability. You don't have an understanding. Now, I, I'm going to also sort of contrast that opinion by saying some people don't know what their why is and they're perfectly happy and some people uh, do know what their why is and they're not happy <laughs> so it it's a difficult thing it's a very simple question why but it, it's actually really difficult to answer and some people will spend their entire life trying to find what their why is I work with clients on coaching basis a lot of them have come to me because they want to work in property and then actually it's not necessarily property that they need help with. It's more their personal development or their confidence or accountability. And also for me, it was always about why they're doing what they're doing and they didn't know that. And that's what I've ended up been helping them with. And once they understand what it is they're looking to do, but why they're doing it, that sort of light bulb moment really does connect. And I know this because I'd been living that way. I'd been, I call it, I'd been existing rather than living. So I was literally just day in, day out, doing the things that needed to be done. Busy life, you know, lots of children activities, driving here, driving that, doing this, doing that, building a property portfolio. And 
why? Why was I doing it all? And I didn't really have that clear understanding. And it was only when I started to coach others, I started to say, well, hold on, I don't even have my own why. Why am I helping people knowing what I'm doing? And then I realized that I spent my entire life helping other people. And that is what I love doing. And waking up the morning of the 1st of April this year with this idea of focus on why podcast. And then literally 29 days later on the 30th of April, it was launched. That was intense four weeks, but it was so easy for me because I'd combined my passion with my professional vocation with my mission. And it just made sense because I was then able to help so many people to share why they were doing what they were doing. And again, that just got further and further endorsed in, in all the work I was doing that I was helping people create their best possible futures purely on the basis that I was just unlocking that one question, that one answer. And no, it's not money. It's never money. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm so happy that you use that exact term because I use this all the time, which is money is a facilitator. Um, and I think once you get your head around that and I, I've done, um, you know, I've got a background in studying history and stuff. So I quite enjoy um, studying the past and, and, and what's happened and, and doing that and understanding economies and why they have failed and why they haven't and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, the word currency comes from the word current, you know, a current, a flow. And, um, and actually it's not, the, you don't want to accumulate a flow. You just want to be part of that flow and you, you move it from one to another to help, you know, your, your life uh, become a lot better. And I think once you understand that you've become a little bit happier because I am, um, I do find that too many people seek out, the accumulation of money but they don't really know why they want to accumulate all their money and what that actually does because actually on a monthly basis they might not need as much as they they actually think they need yeah there's reasons why people accumulate money and and again that goes back to their money story and they they see money as a, a a scarcity they they don't see it as being an abundance and so they hold on to it but then they don't know why they're holding on to it and again it goes back to probably some thing they heard when they were younger that oh you know we have, can't afford that you there's not enough money to go around and and then they start playing those stories and they're, they're, they're things you hear when you're seven years old and you're still using that as your adult life to operate how you're op- running your entire life which is crazy so I do advocate looking at what money means to you and and how you're operating and functioning with it because it's probably not serving you that well. Absolutely, and, and you know, so I, I saw on Instagram recently um, somebody post did a post and it was it was so it, you know really you couldn't you couldn't miss it. It just said um, investing or saving, and um, and I think this is this is is such an important question because I mean I I responded to it and I commented on it and I was pretty with my answer uh, which was just sort of about return on investment which I guess is, is, is true to an extent but I think it raises a, a larger point which is number one we're not educated very well in how to use money and what money means um, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure given the fact that you're a, a fan of Robert Kiyosaki and, and his wife um, that you probably probably agree with me on that but um, but actually understanding that we, we're brought up with this idea of accumulation which is ultimately saving but what is the point of having that money there? Yes, okay, it's good to have a rainy day fund, you know, just in case the boiler breaks or whatever it might be. But actually, if that money's sitting there doing nothing, it's not working for you. And and, and money is a is a way of is is a is a resource. Is is you know, you can use it and investing that money, whether it be in property, stock shares, commodities, whatever it might be, that's actually where the value of the money is truly realized. 
Um, so yeah, I don't know, don't know what you think about that. But I'm, I'm hoping you agree with me on the education point at the very least. Absolutely. And there are some amazing people out there who are trying to rectify that in, in various different ways, who are tackling it from different angles and with the different age groups as well. So, you know, well done to them for doing that. I, I tip my hat to them because it does need to be addressed in a way that we need to allow the next generation to have a better understanding. And it is everyone's responsibility to take part in that, to the literacy, the financial literacy is actually very poor across the population. And I can't remember the stats off the top of my head. I did write a blog on this a while back, but it was ridiculous. The numbers of people who leave school who don't understand, you know, what an APR is. They don't understand how to, to run their, their finances on a daily, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis. They just don't understand and they think they can use credit cards and that's okay. So, yeah, it's not great. It really isn't. And it's, it's, it's not the way that I've brought up my children. They, they are probably more financially literate than I, I was in my 30s. And they're in their late teens. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a big issue. And I don't know why we, it's not flagged. But it, one step at a time, let's try and move this forward. And if you can reach yeah. out and help other people, then fantastic. Yeah, and as you said, we've all got that individual responsibility to help those um and also i think a responsibility to keep learning ourselves you know you were saying you're a big advocate of reading you know I, i'm the same i definitely can't read as quickly as you by the sound of things <laughs> um but joe you know, this is funny because we were talking i was talking about this last night um with my wife and um and, and her parents uh, we were we were isolating together so once a week now because we're still all isolating separately although we've, we've moved back into ours we have a, a meal together just to keep sane once a week um and uh, the the idea of this well, this program I noticed that they had, they had um, recorded on their TV was rich kids rich rich kids go skint, um, and uh, and it resonated with me because I actually I actually did a video about an episode of this on my YouTube channel about six months ago, and I got hammered for it um, because my opinion on that was the whole premise of this show is actually that you get a rich kid who goes and stays with a, with a poor family and he learns the value of money. And, I, and I, my, my whole premise of this was, well, my, my thought process was we really missed a trick here, was both can be educated. And I think a third party should have come in and, and helped both sides of that because it was very much a case of almost kind of villainizing the rich and saying, well, you don't know the value of money because you've got too much of it. Let's, set, let's sit you down with a poor family and you can learn the value of money. Well, I, think, I don't actually think that the poor family, family knew the value of money either because I, and this, this is really nitpicking now, but I saw something in that episode, which was um, they had something like, I don't know, 40 pounds a month left over as their surplus. Um, it might have even been less than that. And there was a scene in it where the, the poor dad was taking the rich kid out on his Saturday job, his second job, which was delivering leaflets. And he was walking around and he had a, a, a pint-sized can of Red Bull in his hand. And I, I turned to my wife and I said, those cans of Red Bull are about two quid, something like that. Um, they've only got 40 pounds a month as a surplus. As a percentage, that's quite a high proportion. And it just struck with me. I thought, that's, you know, I didn't want to come across as too much of an idiot or, or sound really nasty. But that is actually, again, what you were saying. That's, that is financial, financially understanding the ins and outs. And 
they were spending, maybe he was spending money that he shouldn't have been spending. And it, it, it was so minute that I think when I did that video originally, it came across really badly. And I got a lot of people commenting on that, on that YouTube video, having a go at me about raising that point. But I think it all comes back to what you're saying is people in general just aren't maybe educated as well as they could be. And that was a great opportunity maybe for, for, for an education point to be raised. I agree. I think that there are several strands to that and not understanding how to budget is, is one of them. Also that the value of money or in whose eyes and what is the perception of the value of money in terms of, of the bigger picture, we live in a consumer led society. We're, we're very driven by branding marketing and that actually makes a lot of decisions for us without us even knowing. So it's very difficult to sort of opine on 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 that particular case without understanding well you know has had he just given up something else which is why he was replacing it with the caffeine you don't know because but and health and wealth I, I see is going hand in hand as as does literacy and education so understanding one element of your life from fight from finance is one stream but you also need to be healthy you need to have the mindset you need to have the sort of the circle of friends and, and i'm a big advocate of the people that you you spend a lot of time with will have those influences on you so that's where you then probably get the big separations between the rich lifestyle and the poorer lifestyle is that the more people that in the in the richer lifestyle they spend more time with one another they're going to have the influences of of positive influences in in being more educated and making better decisions which leads on to a better lifestyle in their eyes as opposed to you know someone who's making poor lifestyle decisions so it really does make a difference and i do agree with you they did miss on a trick i thought there was an exchange i thought that both parties exchanged and they lived in both lifestyles because that's that for a, me has always been a better opener i've seen programs where they've done that and that's yeah. much more balanced yeah there's another one um, which funny enough they'd already also recorded which i think is called rich rich house poor house or something yeah um, and yeah. so the, but, the, but these programs i think they're they're, they're really valuable um and um and I love the fact both of them, I think, were on Channel 5. And I feel like Channel 5 do a lot of these types of programmes. And actually, I've seen loads of great documentaries on, on the channel and it gets a bad reputation. But I feel they, they're both good and, and, and certainly lessons to learn. I suppose it comes all the way back to, to what we're saying in terms of, you know, un understanding your why um, can help with that education as well. Because I think if you, if you do think that your why is, is purely just down to how much money you have in the bank you're probably not as you were saying understanding your own personal kind of balance sheet or financial statement particularly well um so do you find i mean i know you've said that a lot of the people that you speak to their wives aren't aren't monetary but is it because they've actually gone maybe past the point that i've spoken to some of these these clients of mine and they they actually have a fundamental concept of how much money they would need on a daily basis monthly basis yearly basis to realize the lifestyle that they want yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do have the benefit of working with people who are already well on their way and they've, they've got a, a good grip on personal development. So they've got a good understanding that they need to take responsibility for everything they do in life. And that for me is key because once you take responsibility for your own choices and you, you are aware that you have those choices to make, that really empowers you to to design your life and that's where you can then define your purpose stand by that purpose and understand how you can then create the mission that you want to go on and and for me focusing on why you're doing what you're doing makes everything else fall into place 
and with that definitely comes the, the monetary side of things and yeah they, they stop thinking about that magic ten thousand pounds that they all come to you and say oh this is what i want to you know replace my current salary well actually what is it you need to do to achieve this amount to replace that salary and then what else comes next and then they realize that actually that was just a, a pie in the sky number that they've just pulled out because they've heard it somewhere else and then they realize actually i could do so many things they could do so many things that are in line with their passions and they start to really connect again with what's important what really matters and and why what they're doing really matters and, and every day that compounds in in a way that is going to make a long-term difference so there's there's brilliant books i'm sure you've read the compound effect the slight yeah. edge by jeff olson and great books Amazing absolutely books. if you're going to put books in your show notes you're going to have to start going on to two pages <laughs> yeah i've got I, I was i've literally i've started I, I did start writing down i thought i'm just going to stop what i might just do is i might just at the end of the month or something go back and review and because i mentioned books and so many of these episodes and just do a post like right here are links to all the books i mentioned here, here's your here basically here's your reading list for success if you read all of these then you should find life an absolute breeze <laughs> yeah and i think it comes right back down to if you follow what the, the premises from those those books is that the difference between those who are successful and achieve their aims and live with purpose with those who don't lie in the fact that the successful people are willing to do what unsuccessful people are not and they just keep going and if they have a plan and a purpose it's what i say and have a have know your why and and focus on your why have a plan have a purpose it makes sense because then they're going to live and they're not going to exist i what we just said there there's something that just it just sort of flicked a little switch in my mind um thinking about something from a personal point of view which was actually that I've certainly found throughout this lockdown period that there have been at times, where, although I'm, I'm, I'm relatively focused on what my own personal why is, which is all, which is basically my wife. And, and if I'm honest with you, it sounds soppy to say it, but everything I do, I have her in mind. You know, I want, I just, I have this drive in me that I just want her to have the best life ever. Um, and yeah, I get called soppy for that all the time, but she's the most important thing in my life. So of course I'm going to have that as my why. But I do find a lot of the time that when you get swamped in the mire of life, you know, when you've just got a million things on top of you, 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 you seem like every, every time you complete one task, you know, seven more materialize. It's sometimes hard, isn't it, to sort of take the time out to then move yourself back onto that course. Do you, do you have any issues with that with some of your clients and your coaching where, you know, you need to kind of, you've had that initial discussion, you're, you're working with them and you can see them very often, you've got to kind of pull them back off. And, and have you got any advice that you give to those sorts of people as how they do that? Yeah, so every goal that they set for themselves is linked to very strongly what they will feel when they achieve that and how that will make them, um, how they will really live with that goal having been reached what is it that is going to make a difference to them so connecting their why to every goal that they have makes it much more on purpose much more with a real driver because they they may set a particular goal but unless it means something to actually achieve it and I'll hasten to add, enjoy the journey along the way because we become so obsessed with these endpoints that we forget that today is to be lived also and i'm a massive advocate although i don't always follow this because it's really hard to be present we're always focused on you know something 
that's coming up, something in the future, something that's going to happen in the next hour, in the next couple of hours, tomorrow, the next week. But actually, you need to really enjoy every day because you just don't get this time again. Yeah, um, Gary Vaynerchuk uses a term which I like, which is love the game. Um, because if you don't, you know, if you're always aspiring, you're always looking at the, at the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel or, or the, you know, the station at the end of the track, whatever analogy you want to, want to use, um, you, you, you're potentially going to get derailed because what you are doing every single day is not what is actually getting you out of bed in the morning, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm sure that's not the reason that I don't like getting out of bed in the morning, it's just because my bed's so comfy. Um, no, you're a bear. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's important because then on a daily basis, you actually have an excitement to get out of bed in the morning and, 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 and live your day and do, do what you love. Um, and, I, and I think too, quite a lot of people forget that they have a choice in that. Yeah, there's a brilliant quote, and I'm not going to try and um, say it without quoting it exactly. It was by Hel Hal Elrod. I can never say his name properly. And he says, love the life you have while you create the life of your dreams. Don't think you have to choose one over the other. That is amazing. I haven't heard that before. That's, that is, it's so good. And it is true. You don't have to choose one over the other. Um, you, can, you can have both. Um, and, and I suppose actually one facilitates the other, because if you do love the life that you have and what you're doing right now is, is actually making you happy. You're more inclined to continue on that, that journey and actually get to the destination that is, is that, is that dream is that goal in your head. I love that. And that's why you say, Sam, you just said that, you know, spoiler alert, if you're coming on my podcast, by the way, you just said your why, <laughs> uh, but the reason, you know, why for you is, is your wife. Well, that means you don't have to choose one over the other because you're spending every day with your why and you're, you're living with a, you know, your yeah, wife. I mean, sometimes she doesn't like spending every day with me. That's something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> she, I think, I think my wife probably holds the world record for telling her husband that she hates him the most um, and loves him the most in a single day. Um, she can't seem to, to determine which one it is a lot of the time. Um, it's, it's my, apparently it's my incessant uh, positivity that drives up the wall half the time. Um, but no, oh, you, darn you. <laughs> I know, right? What a horrible trait to have. Um, but, uh, but no, I, in terms of that, yeah, it's, but the thing is, is that's just like one little thing. You say, what's your why? My wife's my why. But it's not just that. There's loads of little things that come out of the side and, and the, 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 you know, the more you want to dig deep into it, um, the more that you can, you can find. And that's, that is, do you know what? That's how I get it out of my clients is, is they'll say, they'll say something 10 grand a month. I'll say why. And I'll just keep saying why until they actually really get it. I had one once and, they, and their why was that they wanted to run a nonprofit. They wanted to build a nonprofit and they had actually worked out that 10 grand a month would give them the stability to be able to run that and live, and live the life that they currently have. And, um, and I was like, okay, fair enough. You, you actually have, have looked into this in a little bit more detail, but I still had to ask them those questions to really dig deep. And I suppose that's something that people could do themselves, isn't it? Is, is think about it and then just continually ask why until they really get down to the nitty gritty. Can you remember being a kid and asking why? And then your parents would say, just because, you know, yeah. no, no, but why? And you know, well, just because. And it, it was really infuriating for me because I, when the kids were little, they used to say, why, why? And I'd say, well, <laughs> why do you think? And they were like, oh, well, it could be because of this or it could be because of that. And, and I'm like, yeah, it could be. And, and why do you think that is? And I kept always going back to them and asking that question back to them. And it made such a difference because their curiosity wasn't quashed. It just, it, they always had that endless exploration of thinking and it's the same with, with 
any solution that we have now if we think we can or think we can't there's a henry ford quote then you're right you know that's that's the way it is but if you start thinking how can i and why can i then it makes a massive difference absolutely and there, there was uh, and again there's a quote in there somewhere and i'm not even going to try and remember who it was or, or what the quote was but there's that idea isn't there that um that almost a differentiator between a and I don't like the terminology because I think it, it categorizes too much, but the, the rich mentality and the poor mentality, which is that, you know, a, a, a poor person will say, I can't afford that. Whereas a rich person will say, how can I afford that? And they'll formulate a way of, uh, of, of actually sort of affording it. And there's, um, there's a, there's a part in, um, in rich dad, poor dad, where it might be that one or one of the other books where, um, you know the, the Kiyosakis sounds like it's like a it's like a, an MTV show, isn't it? The Kiyosakis. I think that's actually brilliant. By the way, I think they should do that. Um, I would definitely watch. But they, um, but he said, "Oh, I, I want this Porsche," and she said, um, "Well, how are you going to afford it?" And so she made him go out and and find a way of creating an income to afford it. So they, they worked out what like the finance costs would be. Let's say it's $500 a month, whatever, for this Porsche. Um, and he had to go out and find something to invest in that would, that would give them $500 a month so then they could actually afford it. And that, for me, that, I mean, look, the fact that I can pretty much remember that story, that story kind of obviously it popped out the page and it resonated with me. And I, I think that now it's hard to get out of the mentality of, I want that, I'm going to go and buy it. But if you could, and it's not going to be, you know, it's not for everything. It's not, oh, you know, I want to go out and do my weekly shop or go and buy a, you know, a house and rent it out and then you can afford your weekly shop. It's not, not that's not what we'll talk about here. But the luxuries, if you get into the mentality of I can go and find something to pay for it, that's just you, your, your whole life. That, that, was, that was the book that changed my life. And then it was, it was stories like that that just changed the way that I think about things. Um, Absolutely. I mean, understanding the difference between an asset and a liability is probably the rule number one and an understanding how to afford to have a liability in in your house or in your in your life through creating assets has been was also the game changer for me yeah i i mean and, and as it, to, to use your own terminology against you um we could have a whole podcast episode just about that um i mean that is basically my life and this is you know, this is probably the most apt episode for the title of this uh, of this podcast, which is Game of Loans, because life is a game of loans. My life certainly is a game of loans, um, which is why I called it that, because it's based on the fact that this is this is my life and this is this is what I do. So I talk about things with people that has some kind of um, attachment to, to to my daily life. But perhaps maybe we'll do that. We'll organise another podcast episode, and literally all we'll do is we'll just talk about assets and liabilities and, and the understanding of that, um, because that will get us probably about two downloads because <laughs> people because <laughs> people won't be that interested to listen i'm sure but um the, i i say this all the time to my guests um, i i think i could just talk to you for, for forever amy um but i have to be conscious of the fact that not everyone wants to listen for to more than 50 minutes to an hour of podcast episodes but um i'd certainly love to try and do a follow-up at some point so we can explore some of the stuff we've talked about today even more deeply but um I've, I've absolutely loved this and it's been a genuine pleasure for me to, to talk to you uh, about all of these subjects because they're subjects that I find just so, so fascinating. But for those that, um, that now have sort of listened to all the wisdom that you've got to give and maybe think that you are the person for them to, to, to maybe coach them and help them, how's best to get in touch with you to, to talk to you about that in more detail? 
Well, I'm all over social media. So it's Amy Rowlandson and I've got a website. I have, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'll give you all of my contact details and you can put them in the show notes. Perfect. I think the, the easiest way to get hold of me is probably LinkedIn or via my email, but it's, I'll give you those details, no problem. Perfect. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. See, this is what happens when I interview somebody that has their own podcast. They know what I want to do, um, which is, yeah, which is uh, everything will be in the show notes on here. So um, do reach out to um, to Amy because, yeah, the, her, her wealth of knowledge and understanding is, is, is insane. But I always finish my podcast episodes with a very non-finance business property related question um and it's something that's very dear to my heart because i've discovered during lockdown that i am an insane chocoholic um to the point where i had actually had to last week i had to i did a a chocolate fast because i felt that i was getting out of hand and my skin was getting a bit bad and all sorts although i look very red at the moment because i've got sunburn at the weekend um but i always like to ask my guests to, to finish things off what is your favorite chocolate I'm sitting here having just eaten a fudge, but I'm actually going to go with a chocolate orange. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Oh, I, I, love, I love chocolate orange. It always, I mean, reminds everyone of Christmas, doesn't it, chocolate oranges? Um, and the one that has the fizzle one in is even better. You yes. Know, have you ever had that one? Yeah, I have. They, they don't, do they only bring those out at Christmas? I think so. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's but like let's, it's, let's talk Easter eggs. Let's talk about mini eggs as well. They're, oh. they're all my, yeah. Do you know the um, the ones I like this Easter just um, gone was the the I think they might be M M&M and M or Smarty Eggs one of the two I can't remember oh absolutely absolutely yeah. amazing um, follow up question chocolate in the fridge or in the cupboard where does it get stored depends which it is interesting and at the moment everything is in the cupboard it's not in the fridge good. That's, that was the correct answer, by the way. Um, I've, 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 I've had really sort of mixed, mixed reviews on, on that um, because this is, this is a, this sort of a, a bit of an argument that me and the missus have is that she likes it in the fridge, I like it in the cupboard. I'm, of course, right because Cadbury's have recently come out and said that all their chocolates should be consumed at room temperature. So, of course, quite happy to share that with her incessantly for a number of days so that she, she knew exactly that, that I was right because I'm not right very often, so I have to make the most of it, you see. Um, but uh, but thank you very much for that excellent chocolate choices fantastic chocolate choices but um, thanks so much for coming on Amy it's been a genuine pleasure and um, yeah we'll hopefully have you back on again at some point in the future thank you for having me it's been an absolute blast well there you have it another one bites the dust as they say but let me ask you a quick question did you enjoy this episode if so please do subscribe to the podcast as well as rating and reviewing it. This really does help me get my podcast out to more people and I'd be eternally grateful. As well as this, are you in property and wondering what to do at the moment? Well, if that's the case, I've set up a fantastic new Facebook group called Social Media for Property Investors. Check out the link in the show notes below and join us where we will discuss all the things that you need to know to smash it on social media. See you later.